We uh, left off at the top of page 20 and continuing on uh, <clears throat> with these uh, actions of the believer uh, in Christ or, or, or accomplished for the believers, believer in Christ that are reckoned uh, by God. And so the overall thing of what we're looking at is the believer is provided a position as well as possession in Christ. And so the one side of that is position. And so we are in Christ. Very clear to see uh, a positional statement there. Now, what is the statement <clears throat> that we usually uh, try to emphasize here? What is the big key to the Christian life and being able to live it out in the present? Being able to think on who you are above. Put your mind or reflectively think on things above. So we see that over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. And again, this is another verse where I'm sure if I were to call upon someone, they could clearly quote this verse without me even having to read it. But I'm not going to test that theory again. <laughs> but we'll read through this context because there's a, a couple of things that we've pointed out before here. Actually, several things that we want to look at. But the first of those being that we have a position in Christ. And he's telling you uh, to reflectively think on that. In verse one, it says, since not really if there again in the Greek, when you have a, a present active verb and it's in the uh, in, in that tense and you have this uh, um, conditional clause with it, you can really say it's in the first class condition. So it's not an if you've been risen or, or, or risen together with Christ. It's since. If you're a believer, it's a fact you've been risen together with Christ. And so what do we do? We seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And so what is the picture here? We are looking in heaven at the right hand of God in the throne room. And what can you say? Christ is seated at his right hand. There's a lot of verses we go to 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 uh, illustrate that. But the one that comes to my mind as you're thinking of Stephen and when he was being stoned. And what does he say there at the end? He says, uh, I see the son of man standing out from the right hand of God. And I like the beautiful picture Pastor Dave painted for that one time. Was, it was almost as if he was standing there ready to receive him. Because every other time you see that seated at the right hand of God, he's indeed seated. Here he saw him standing out from his right hand ready to receive him in the glory. And so a uh, wonderful statement of, of what's going on there. But we are seated at the right hand of God in Christ. And so what do we do in verse two? Set your affections. And this word for affections, not really a great translations there, translation there, but you can really say your reflective thinking on things above. And so the thoughts that are going constantly through your mind, and I wouldn't say uh, 24 hours a day, you're just sitting there going, Mm, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ. No, it's not like that. But as you see your attention drifting off to something else that might distract you away from thinking of who you are in Christ, reflectively think on who you are in Christ. Someone's coming and cutting you off in the lane. Don't think about the fact of what that person is doing. Think about the fact of who you are in Christ. And am I, it's my reaction going to damage who I am in Christ or uh, somebody being able to see that vision. Uh, so set your affections or your reflective thinking on things above. What's the opposite of that? Not on things of the earth. And so there are things that are going on down, <laughs> down on earth that can certainly distract <laughs> 
that's that's not for you, Brother Scott. <laughs> the the things going on on the earth can certainly distract from who you are in Christ. And so uh, here's a moment where you can say. And so uh, you rightly said it, Brother Scott, is your you have your mind where it should be. <laughs> the things on the earth don't bother you as much. I like the hymn. What does it say? It says, set your mind on Jesus. Look full to his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then that can't say this verse any better, right? There's not a hymn that says that any better. It's a perfect picture of where our mind should be. And verse three says, for you are dead. Remember, we've seen this in other verses. God counts us to have died together with Christ. And your life is hid intimately together with uh, Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. And so what is he saying here? Again, there's future ramifications for our salvation that we haven't seen yet. When Christ shall appear, it's going to be fully recognized that we are in Christ, right? You'll be able to see it outside. You'll be able to see it inside. There won't be any more of us needing to set our mind on things above because it's going to be a reality, we're going to be intimately together with him and we're going to understand it just as good as God the Father understands it now. And so that's a wonderful picture. What do we do while we're in these bodies still? In verse five, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, he's not telling you, <laughs> he says mortify you. He's not telling you to go out and maim yourself so that you don't commit any of these uh, sins or any of these uh, lusts from the flesh. He's not saying that. But he, as your body pertains and these appetites from your body pertain to you, you have to count yourself again to be dead. This has to be a mental exercise that you're doing. I am dead and my life is hid together with Christ. I don't have to do any of this stuff that my body, my bodily appetites want to do. And that's how you overcome the sin nature. In verse six, for which things sake, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience in which you also walk sometimes or, or really there before back then when you lived among them. But now here's a contrast. You are uh, you also put off these anger wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy uh, communication out of your mouth. Lie not uh, to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man. There goes that old man again, who you were before in Adam, who's crucified uh, together with Christ uh, and his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge of him uh, or excuse me, after the image of him that created him. Where uh, there is, again, just like we saw back in Galatians 3.27, and him is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so because we're all unified in this one body of believers that has Christ at the head and we're all equal here, you can do verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, uh, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, 
Even as Christ forgave you, so also you do. Sometimes we can put the cart before the horse, right? And we want to be kind to people, but we want to do it out of our own ability. We're really, in that sense, when we're not putting our mind on who we are in Christ first and then letting it flow out from that, you're putting yourself under a law. And you're saying, I have to be kind to this person. And guess what your sin nature does? It reacts. And it says, oh, boy, I like a challenge. That person just said this to me. This is what I think about you. And it's not so kind what comes out of your mouth, right? If any man have a quarrel against any, what he's saying here is there's probably potentially these things going on. And he needs to give instruction for how they're supposed to do it the right way. And the right way would be, let me think about who I am in Christ first. Let me think about the fact that my brother, my sister here that I'm talking to right now, they're in Christ just like I am. And I can relate to them in the right way as a natural outflow of who I am, not as a natural outflow of who I am in the flesh, but as of who I am in Christ. And so that's important to see. Um, In verse 14, he says, and above all things, put on charity, which is a bond of perfection or perfectness. And let peace or the peace of God uh, rule in your heart. Uh, to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Uh, That's an important word to look at also as you think of the peace of God ruling your heart. It has the idea of letting peace umpire you. And so as you think of a game, any athletic event, there's an official there that's making sure that everybody adheres to those things that they're supposed to adhere to. Now, again, this is not saying that when you don't have peace, you have to say, let me have peace. No, it's saying if there's anything that's taking away from the peace that you should have in God, here's a time where you should stop. And think of who you are in Christ and let it be a natural outflow of how you're acting because your mind is set on who you are in Christ rather than me forcing myself to act in a way towards somebody else. And so we see this as an active part of our presence in salvation. We also see that in Christ, the believer is able to actualize the life that resides within. And so remember, when you're living out your life, and this is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. When you're living out your life as one uh, that is in Christ, and when we have our minds properly framed there, The Holy Spirit is able to then compensate for whatever we lack. And so as you think about the parts of the fruit of the spirit, how are we able to act kind towards someone? Because in any given situation, if we're lacking kindness, we can put our mind on things above and the Holy Spirit can come and fill that lack. And then we can act right towards other people because it's supernatural. I'll tell you, if somebody comes up to Courtney in the flesh and says something that I don't like or I don't want to hear, my natural reaction is going to be able to either ignore that person or to say something that I shouldn't be saying. Right. Now, I hope I'm the only one that's like that. (laughs) I tend not to think so. But but that's a natural reaction. But the reaction of me when I'm living as who I am in Christ is going to be to respond to that person in the right way, to be long suffering towards someone who uh, might be trying or difficult. And so you see these things. Uh, But remember here in, in chapter three of Philippians, Paul talks about who he was in the flesh. And he had a lot of pride and confidence in the things that he had built up as far as being an Israelite. And these things were important to him before until he came to a true understanding 
of what God really wanted for him. And I fully believe that those things that Paul was doing in persecuting believers, he absolutely believed that he was doing the right thing. And he was doing exactly what God wanted. But he came to find that it wasn't at all what God wanted. So when he found that out, he said, that stuff doesn't matter to me. And imagine how long he lived his life building up this person that he was supposed to be as an Israelite and to discard those things like they were nothing. Imagine what that took. A true understanding of who he should be in Christ. In verse eight, he says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And so what is his intent? His intent and focus is that he can live out this life in such a way that he can show forth Christ. And that Paul, who Paul was in the flesh, would completely disappear. And they would only see Christ. In verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is out from law, but that which is through faith, or the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is uh, of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You see the key there? This goes right back to the facts of the gospel and how those very facts relate to our present when we're living out this life in the way that we should. When you direct your mind on who you are in Christ, You're then counting the fact that you died intimately together with Christ, that you were buried intimately together with Christ, that you were resurrected intimately together with Christ, and that you are now seated at the right hand of God in Christ. And so that's what you call resurrection life. In verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So he's not talking about physical resurrection here. He's not dead. Right. This is spiritual resurrection and living out who you are in Christ and having Christ live through you. In verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after I continue to pursue. Now, the funny thing about this word is it's the same word that's used for what he did to Christians. Right. Before he was saved, he was eagerly pursuing to kill Christians. Now he's eagerly pursuing who he should be in Christ. I follow after or eagerly pursue if that I may apprehend or lay hold of that for which I was also apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press for the mark for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so as you're looking at it, This Christian life and as you're living in the present, there's never going to be a point where we can say, got it. There's not going to be this point while we're living where you're putting your nose to the the ribbon and it snaps and it's the end of the race. Right. Not as long as we're alive. Not as long as Christ hasn't come back. I I think of it like uh, this Bugs Bunny cartoon we used to watch when we were younger. And there was uh, so many of the different ones, but there was one in particular where he got into this dog race or this dog track and there was dogs racing around. And so, of course, dogs chase the rabbits to to get to the finish line. And he saw him chasing this little rabbit. So he would 
jump up and try to chase after that fake rabbit because he thought it was real and they were being so cruel to this poor rabbit. But the picture in my mind is of that rabbit. Those dogs are chasing that rabbit and they're never going to catch up to it, right? They're going to keep running around that track as long as that rabbit is there and keep running and running and running until the race is over. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be running and running and running until this race is over. And the race is not over until you die or until the Lord returns. And so that's the picture that we see here uh, for Paul. He pressed for the mark of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ. Now, we also see uh, that in Christ, the believer realizes the indwelling uh, qualities made possible uh, because uh, of of living in Christ. And boy, I messed that one up again and left out the verse as well. <laughs> so we won't go to that one. But looking at the uh, believer that is indwelt by Christ, um, and we want to look at the other side of it now and kind of look at possessions. And so what do we have in Christ? We have Christ living through us. And so as we're, again, thinking of who we are in Christ, Christ is able to live in us. Um, uh, Go with me over to Ephesians chapter two and verse 15. And we see there is the availability of the new man. And we've kind of looked at this before, but you see it here as well. Ephesians chapter two and verse 15. And so remember, the old man equates to who we were in Adam. The new man equates to who we are and that new reality of living in Christ. And pick it up from where we left off uh, when we saw that we are saved by grace, and that's the free gift of God in verse 8. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, speaking of the faith, not of yourselves, it is the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained, uh, or excuse me, before ordained, that we should walk in them. Now, remember, this word for <clears throat> workmanship in verse 10 has the idea of being a product of his doing. It's really, I think, the word where the word poem comes from, a poema. And so we are uh, something that he has created uh, in Christ Jesus to produce these good works. In verse 11, wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at, the at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so that that uh, alienation that we would have suffered through had uh, God not done something about it, that separation that we would have had uh, from God, we've been able to be made near by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, for he is our peace who have made bo of both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even of the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in uh, one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to, uh, to you who were afar off, 
and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of those apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so you see how we fit in. We are able to access a new man through the work of God, through Christ. Uh, And it's both Jew and Gentile, by the way, that are a part of that. Uh, We also see over in chapter 4 and verse 22, this new man that we're able to have access to. And pick it up in verse 17. Just to see the contrast here of who we used to be and who we are now. He says in verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the uselessness of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. To work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man that position in Adam uh, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit belonging to your mind. And so where does that that renewal occur? Where have we been renewed? And what have we been trying to point out? It's in your spirit. It's not in your soul, not in your body. It's in your spirit. In verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which, is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Uh, and so you see the, the um, uh, bad acts that can be put off as a result of putting on a new man they're following. Uh, we won't go into all of those. But again, the idea of putting on the new man. What does it mean that you have to put something on? It means that it's not permanently there. We've seen that this was given to you at salvation. But if we choose to live, and I hate to keep going to the illustration, but if we choose to plug in that old refrigerator, God's going to allow you to do it. But if you plug in the new one and live in what we have now, uh, you have that opportunity to live out these lives as glorifying to God. We also see that there's redemption in Christ. Go with me over to Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. And so we have uh, redemption from God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. Pick it up in verse 20. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified or declared righteous in in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of uh, Jesus Christ unto all and upon all uh, of them that believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in where Christ Jesus. 
So we've seen that we're in Christ Jesus. And so in Christ Jesus, we have what? Redemption as a result of being in Christ Jesus. And so this is uh, something possessed by each believer. We also see that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Go with me over to Romans 8, chapter, Romans 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Got myself all turned around there. Now, it's a very interesting place for Paul to put this fact that there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. But a very appropriate place as you think about the struggle that he was having in chapter 7. And he was going back and forth, putting himself under law, and he ends up sinning or falling short of what he wanted to do. And it was a, a cycle that he was going through. And he ends up saying what at the end of the chapter? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And so he comes into chapter eight, uh, having realized that grace is what's going to deliver him. And he says this in uh, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And really, you can cut the, the rest of that off because in the better manuscripts, they don't read. Uh, and I believe as uh, Brother Scott has it and his NIV, it reads the right way, right? Oh, you've given it up. <laughs> well, well, if you got the wrong, <laughs> wrong reading there. Uh, but here you see at the end of this verse, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There's no condition to that. By the very fact that we believe the facts of the gospel, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you have to do to earn that lack of condemnation. It's just there by us being in Christ. Um, in verse four, he said, or verse two, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for uh, sin, condemn sin in the flesh, uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So a lot of people believe that they just uh, added that on from verse five. Uh, not sure what they did, but just know that the better manuscripts don't don't read the rest of that uh, writing. Um, we also see in verse two that there is freedom from legalistic service. And so remember, in verse two, he says, for the law of sin, uh, the law of the spirit of life uh, in Christ hath made us free from the law of sin. Uh, and death. And so uh, that legalistic restraint is gone. We also see that there is an inseparable love from God in Christ. Go with me over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 39. Now Paul looks at all of these potential uh, things that could occur and generalizes them and says that none of these are going to be able to separate us from the love of God. as a result of the work that the Father has accomplished. Now pick it up in verse 30. He says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, or this idea of marking off the bounds, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up on behalf of us, how shall we not uh, with him also freely give us all things? Or how shall he not? In verse 33, 
Whoso lay anything to the charge of God's elect, it is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns us? It is Christ that has died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession on behalf of us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now, these were all things that were real possibilities in their time, right? We don't necessarily see a lot of these things today, but know that if these things ever came, they couldn't separate us from, from the love of God. In verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as much as we're in Christ, which we can't be taken away from being in Christ, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so we see that here uh, as a possession. We also see that uh, there is a relationship to one body uh, from being in Christ. Go with me over to uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. Now here's our our famous um, uh, presentation of the body. As a spiritual sacrifice that we see in verse one, and we can pick it up there. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the uh, mercies of God, that you present yourself, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt every man uh, the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ uh, and every one members of one another. Excuse me. And so you see, again, looking back to our wonderful art up here, uh, as you see Christ at the head and this body, everybody's in that body. There's not one that's higher than another. Uh, There's not one that has a a better function than another. That's why I didn't put any arms or any legs on this body. It's just one body functioning in the functions that we've been given. And the only difference in that body is that you've been given different spiritual gifts to, to operate. Right. But those spiritual gifts are operated and powered by the same spirit. And so there's no difference even there that you could uh, draw from. Uh, and so it's the same spirit that's empowering us all. Uh, we also so see that there is uh, sanctification in Christ Jesus. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. In Christ we have been sanctified or set apart. Or you could say, holy. (laughs) 
And so Paul writing to these Corinthian saints. Now, no, <laughs> he's writing to these Corinthian saints. And we see some of the stuff that they ended up doing right and the things that he's having to write to them about. And yet, as he's writing to them, he can still call them ones that are sanctified or ones that are holy. So as people think about holiness and and think about it as your action and your activity, well, why is he calling these Corinthian saints holy here? We certainly see that they're involved in some things that they probably shouldn't be. But in Christ, they're still counted as being set apart. In verse one, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to the ones that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, uh, with all that in every place call upon the name of, of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, he has to get into what's going on with them in the following verses, but he can say good things about them before he gets into those things. He has to call out the truth. He has to tell them what's going on with them. But even at that, there are good things that can be said about them. Why? Because they're here. They're part of the body of Christ. They're ones that have the same access to being in Christ uh, and that reality of being able to live out the new man. We also see over in verse 30 that there's uh, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption ascribed to these believers uh, in Christ. Go with me over to verse 30. Pick it up in verse 23. Oh, verse 22. He says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Now, uh, we know that God is not foolish nor weak, but that's the way that men perceive him. Right. And that's the way that men would look at anyone that believes in God. And he's saying here that this that they think is foolishness is really strength uh, or stronger than any uh, uh, or wiser than anything men could think of. In verse 26, he says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men are after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And so you see these things that matter to people. Right. Uh, the pastor is always given a hard time to Hollywood and some of these famous people that are out there because they have these things. Right. They have qualities that people aspire to. Uh, men look at, at these wise people or these people that scientists that think they have it all figured out or those that are in the rich class that that they have more ability than the average person has. Right. Well, unfortunately, in the body of Christ. Not many of those are called. <laughs> it didn't say not any. And <laughs> now I don't know if sitting among us are wise or, or mighty or noble, but uh, maybe you guys have some money that I'm not thinking. You you got some millions over there, <laughs> Mrs. J. <laughs> not many, not many. And so he didn't say not any, but not many. Not many wise men, not many 
uh, that are mighty or not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things. Now, this is the category I fall into, <laughs> the foolish things of the world to confine the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And so uh, what have we seen of God throughout the Bible? Even as you go into the Old Testament, why did he choose Israel? Because they were the biggest and the most powerful nation? No, he says, I chose you because you're the smallest. Remember the wars that they went to? He would pare down their armies. It was always about the power of God. It had nothing to do with the power of man. And you see that spiritually in the New Testament. He didn't have to get a bunch of uh, people with 140 IQs and the smartest people that you can find on the earth. He didn't have to get the richest people. He just chose the foolish things to make those things that are uh, look stupid. And you're going to see it come to pass in the future. Uh, and the base things in verse 28 of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things which are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus who are uh, of God has made uh, unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it, as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And so these things that we've been made in Christ, those things we can give God credit for. And we understand that there's nothing of us that causes us to be sanctified. There's nothing of us that causes us to be righteous. These are all things that we've been given as a result of being in Christ. And so we can count them as uh, possessions. Now, there are many more uh, possessions that you can go to. I did a very limited study on that, um, but we'll move on from there. Now, looking at present tense salvation, again, we see that the believer uh, is, is being saved, or excuse me, present tense salvation. Uh, we see that the believer is being saved. And so we see verses that relate to the fact that we uh, we're saved and we saw those before. But now we want to look at some of those that relate to the fact that we're still being saved. It's not complete yet. Go with me uh, we're right here back to verse 18. And we'll go back just a little bit. And remember, Paul is talking about this issue that's going on in Corinth that they're uh, arguing about baptism or, or I was baptized by Paul as if this really meant something. Right. Paul said, I didn't come here to baptize. I came here to preach the gospel. And that should have been the thing that they took away from the fact that Paul came. Not that he baptized them, that he gave them the facts of the gospel and they believed. The spirit is the one that baptized them. In verse 17, he says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And remember, that's looking at the work done by Christ on the cross. Uh, for the preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing foolishness, but unto us which are being saved, or it says there which are saved, uh, is a power of God or a quality of the power of God. Now that word for um, are, are saved is in the present. And so it has the idea of, of being saved. It's a continual process. It's something that's going on. Right now we're being saved. We believe the facts of the gospel we're operating in our present tense salvation, and someday we're going to receive the full contents of this salvation. And we kind of looked at that before. We'll look at it even more uh, here next week. 
we also see that the believer is seen as uh, acceptable to God in the midst of our uh, positive activity in being saved. Go with me over to chapter or, or Second Corinthians chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse fifteen. And pick it up at uh, pick it up at verse twelve. He says, "Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me uh, of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not uh, Titus my brother, but taking uh, my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia." Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge um, through us uh, in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved uh, and in them that perish. And so you can see here again, I have to look at the Greek there, but again, it's this idea of being saved. It's, it's not, uh, uh, and, it, and really it's a participle that looks at that idea of a continual action. And so uh, being saved, it's an ongoing action. And as you think of participles in the English, what do they usually express? They have a, or what's usually evident of them. They have the ing on the end. It's something that's happening. And so here uh, we can really translate that into the English uh, as being saved. It's a continual thing that's going on. Now, over in uh, Ephesians chapter two and verse five, which we've been uh, several times uh, and we saw it as coming through again is uh, by grace you are saved. Uh, but you could really, again, as you're going through there, translate that uh, being saved in Ephesians two, verse five and eight. But we won't. Uh, go to that one. We've been there several times tonight. Uh, we see the believer is able to put into practice the provisions of salvation uh, in our present tense salvation. And then the believer is still capable of sin uh, due to possessing a sin nature. So uh, here's the thing. Uh, you're saved by believing the facts of the gospel. But there is a capability as you're living out these lives, uh, as many may know, to sin. Now, uh, unless any of you out there have lived perfectly up until or after the, you believe in the facts of the gospel, I do want to express to you that there's the potential of you sinning. <laughs> I don't know if you've done it before, but I'm going to tell you the potential is there and I can prove it from Scripture. <laughs> Go with me over to First uh, John chapter one, verse nine. And it shows the provisions of what we should do. Should we happen to sin? I don't want to be presumptuous and think that everyone has sinned after they believed. And pick this one up in um, verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
Uh, so I didn't say that. The <laughs> scripture said that in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, there's a condition there, right? He's not saying that you're definitely going to sin. But he does say if you do, there's forgiveness that can be applied to you in Christ with confession. And so the only condition placed on that is you confessing that sin. Uh, but why would he say that if the possibility wasn't there? We see in verse 8 that the, the uh, possibility is very much there. Uh, but over in uh, chapter 2, he carries this on. Go with me over to chapter 2 and verse 1. Well, we can keep reading from verse 10. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you in order that you sin not. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is our propitiation, or the word here for place of satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours alone or only, but also the sins of the whole world. And so remember, we talked about this before. The ability of this uh, work that Christ has done to be applied to anybody that believes the facts of the gospel. Christ died on behalf of everyone to take away everyone's sins. Yet it can only be applied when you believe those facts of the gospel. And so us being believers, thank God for that, uh, that we have that forgiveness in Christ. Uh, last, we want to go over to uh, the potential of a believer to be carnal. And I'm going to circle back around to this next week because I wanted to add uh, a few things to these notes. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, We see uh, the potential of carnality. Now, what is carnality? It has the idea of living after the flesh. And I think somebody that just sins and confesses a sin, well, obviously you're not going to be carnal because you've confessed that sin. And you're able to get back into a place where you're living uh, after the spirit. But someone that just continues on in a pattern of sin where these desires of the flesh are kind of running them and they're not confessing the sin, uh, is in a state of carnality, and that's what you see with the, the Corinthian saints. And so pick it up in verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither are you yet a, uh, now able, for you are what? Carnal. Uh, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not yet carnal and walk as men? And so you see here the activity of them was not reflecting the reality of who they were in Christ. Why? Because they were walking as men. And how do men walk that aren't in Christ? Those things that make them feel good that we were talking about earlier, those things that they want to do, those appetites that they have, those dictate what they're going to do. Those dictate their actions. And so they get caught in this cycle of sinning. Um, and it can, it can get even worse from there. Uh, and so Paul is calling them out on their, their carnality here. Uh, we'll leave it good at that and kind of preview these other things we want to look at next week. Uh, we see the believer is able to uh, forego sinning uh, due to the new nature. And so remember back in 1 John 1, 9, uh, he, he uh, well, actually in verse John two one he said if any man should happen to sin, and so there's not the the definite uh, 
uh, sin that's going to come from an individual, you have the ability to not sin, uh, and it's going to be a, a matter of you living in Christ. We also see the believer must contend with a dying body, and we want to get into that next week as well. Uh, and then look at future tense salvation, and we see that the believer will be saved as you think of, of uh, uh, our future tense salvation. The believer will realize the redemption of our soul. The believer will realize the redemption of our body. Now, remember, these are things that that can be dictated by our spirit right now. We've talked about this before. But in the future, it's not going to even be a matter of us having to say, I need to get my mind on who I am in Christ. These are things that are going to be normative to our behavior. It's not going to be a process that we have to go through. And the believer will lack nothing with regard to our mental and physical existence as you think about what we are in Christ. And then finally, we want to close it out with the importance of understanding uh, salvation in three terms. Um, the um, There were a couple of other areas that I really would have liked to get to, but uh, I spent too much time there at the start. So <laughs> we won't probably be able to make it to those, but um, it's been a good time in what we've studied up to this point, And hopefully we'll be able to uh, tie it up pretty quickly next week.